for joining us today. This is Frank Goss at Vintage Broadcasting. This is our series entitled John Dewey's Dumbdown of the American Mind, an in-depth look at the state of public education in the United States of America. We will be looking at the history and background of American schooling from its inception in Massachusetts way back in 1853 and go through to where we are today in your community and nationwide. We want to consider what the founding fathers of public education had in mind when this endeavor began, how they developed their ideas, and the surprising results our public schools have produced and are producing. It's a whole lot more than reading, writing, and arithmetic. Follow along, and I believe you'll be totally surprised. news that Iran, with whom we have just come to a major, major agreement, has bombed an American embassy. China is preparing for extreme war. Russia is invading the Ukraine. And we have a leadership problem here in America that is ridiculous. Tell me where we're heading. Tell me that the present administration is not working to destroy the American way of life while amassing enormous sums of cash for themselves. Politicians such as Barack Obama and Joe Biden and so many others go into office with little to nothing, but they come out multimillionaires. Joe Biden, a lifetime politician, is worth in excess of $20 million. Now tell me why our government, which formerly was a government by the people and for the people, has elected to forget the people. We have a Politburo. We have a Plato Republic staring at us. And we, the people, are sitting here. Oh, we complain. And we don't like what they're doing. But we're not doing anything of consequence regarding their overthrow of all that we've known. 2020 was a stolen election. And it was so blatant. And it was done in such a manner. And all the facts are there and available. It's undeniable. The facts are now coming out. The truth cannot be repressed. You cannot bury a basketball underwater, and you cannot cover up facts. We're being told that, no, this never happened. Only domestic terrorists would promote such ideas. And our government has their ways and means in handling domestic terrorism. We cannot speak our mind any longer. We don't have freedom of speech. The First Amendment, ah, what's that? People will sell you out in a heartbeat, and you'll be canceled, punished, removed from your job, ridiculed, and rejected. All dissent must be quelled. The English would not stand for rebellion in the New World. Those rebels, those treasonous rebels, they had to be taught to stay in their lane. They need to learn where they belong. The elite in America, they're telling us this same thing today. They're even saying that they'll reduce us to nothing and we'll be happy. Surely we're not flirting with the communist. Surely this is not even remotely possible. It's as if Jim Jones is handing us a cool glass of cherry Kool-Aid, insisting that we drink the cup dry. And so many believed him. And they drank deeply and obediently with a trusting smile. I say that, but I cannot really tell. Today we couldn't tell because of the mask. It hides so much. In Jonestown, 
There were so many dead bodies, the stench was horrible. Why? Because so many trusted a devious and corrupt lying tyrant. And their utopia actually turned out to be their own graveyard. Now how can we trust the people in Washington? People who have perfected the art of lying, misguiding, abusing, and intentionally causing chaos and confusion, and then declaring that they alone can repair these things. These guys create a horrible crisis, raise so many false flags, and manufacture so many confusing and divisive issues, promote Marxist principles, plant seeds of racism in the mind of our youth, all while denying their actions as they practice them in plain sight. How can we trust the people in Washington? who promoted and allowed men like John Dewey to establish his educational agenda, or the Frankfurt School to apply their critical theories in our universities, or Alfred Kinsey to pervert the public mind, or John Money to mangle the male anatomy and twist and pervert American morality. We've not even considered the public schools yet. What a snake pit. Millions upon millions of uncaring, lazy-minded parents passively send their children to the government-sanctioned indoctrination centers daily, and then they wonder why their children act out and come away with such a twisted view on life. The instructors, they teach what they're told, but they come away with an altruistic attitude that exudes arrogance, an arrogance that chafes against the parental control. They're trained professionals, you see. Most parents, well, they barely finish high school. The elementary school principal makes remarks within earshot of her staff, letting them know that there are some parents that really just don't deserve to have children. And then you hear the government proclaim that children, our children, are the property of the state. The principal smiles smugly. And teachers nod in agreement as they walk back to the classrooms renewed with an understanding that they finally have somebody in charge who seems to understand and agree, someone who has their back. Today we have a president who is following lockstep with former occupant of the White House, Barack Obama. Yet he's consistently denying, as Barack Obama was fond to do, any responsibility for his myriad of failures and telling we the people that his hands are tied. Russia is responsible. Market conditions are dictating the economy. At the same time, he's flooding the market with money he printed with a specific goal in mind. Break the back of the middle class with excessive inflation. He denies doing this. He denies that he is the cause of any inflation. He's the president of the United States, and he is surrounded by people who should know that the more money you put into circulation, the faster inflation rises. Gas today, March 2022, is at 5 to $7 a gallon. To the $50,000 a year man who's barely existing, this is devastating. To the small businessman, this is crippling. Food prices double. No, they triple on a monthly basis. Obama is content. He has nothing to worry about, really, financially. He has his $100 million net worth his house next to Jeff Bezos in Washington, D.C., and another $12 million home in Martha's Vineyard. And still, he's under construction now, but there will be another multi-million dollar vacation home on a beach in Hawaii. How does such a man get so wealthy on a $260,000 a year salary? Even at eight years in office after taxes, 
his earnings would amount to a bit more than $2.2 million. And that's if he did not spend any money at all. And then our vice president, Kamala Harris, she tells us that these high prices, this inflation, it's what the Democrats ordered. And it's simply the cost of democracy. And still, we sit in our seats. We're supposed to be quiet. A spirit, a spirit of submission is being ground into the public. We know to speak up means headaches and problems. We're not allowed to stand without raising our hands. Who do we think we are? We're not allowed to speak without permission. Isn't that what John Dewey taught? We need to think of the collective, not just our own individual needs. Consider the whole, the collective, right? Together, everybody achieves more, right? Isn't that what John Dewey taught? Or was that Lenin? No, wait. Joseph Stalin, Mao, or Castro. Isn't that what they taught? Now we have the churches preaching social justice, critical race theory, black life matter. That would be a repressive and racist thing if they missed these things, if they preached Jesus, the white man's Jesus. The last citadel, the former bastion of truth, is crumbling. And soon it will be as impotent as Finland was during World War II. We can thank Russell Moore and Al Mohler for their contributions. They've worked long and hard. And let's not forget David Platt and Mark Devers, Legan Duncan, and the rest. And the amazing work of the American Seminary. Without their submission and soft sell of CRT, we would be left listening to a centuries-old message that has been heard over and over and over. A message of Jesus and his glories and Jesus and his love. Let's mix it up a little bit. Let's be more accepting. Let's be more progressive. Still, people see the hypocrisy of it, and they despise it. How can we tell? Religion is a voluntary participation function. The individual is not forced to go to any church or participate in any way. They do so voluntarily. Well, how are they responding to this nonsense? Well, people are no longer volunteering. They're no longer participating. They're leaving the church in numbers. The statistics show that the population of the church is plummeting like a rock in water. The people are showing their distaste by blessing the church building with their absence. The pastors just don't understand. The leaders have developed new programs. They're trying to find one that works, and they're working long, long hours and arduously using a corporate approach, and they're making great leaps in their marketing efforts. Ah, uh, there are a few faithful. There are some, but they're considered radical and unacceptable. Far too stringent, too legalistic. To these, social justice was meted out in the death of Christ. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. What an extreme and puritanical view. Far too simplistic. Doesn't even mention white supremacy. They speak, these radical churches, they speak of sin and repentance and the evil nature of man, the need for following Christ with commitment and allegiance. They admit to the free will of man. But they also claim that it was surrendered and abandoned, given away to the arch enemy of man's soul, Satan. Imagine that, man's will being bound up in sin. Well, if man is not the central player here, who exactly is? The church? No. Oh, God, you say. Now that's troubling. How do we know what he's going to do? No, nope, not going to have it. These people are few, and when they do get together these radical few rural churches, they're small in number. 
generally found in rural communities, small communities. 20, 30, 40, 50 members attend. The preacher's dressed in a threadbare suit and appears to be tired. He's working the third shift, you know. The church is too small to financially support him, but he, he does have a desire that they might be set spiritually. Just look at all the cars in the parking lot. That indicates the financial condition of the congregation. Pickup trucks and rusty cars. Many of them work in the same factory, you know. Yet they come, they sing, they smile, and they're happy. They pray and they give. They give what they can. They're also looked down upon by the larger, more liberal churches. The whispers in the community circulate, suggesting that these small churches are doctrinally incorrect, illiterate religious extremists, and closed to the outsiders. This is why they are isolated and undetended. You know, they're more than likely a family church. Our values. In 1841, Octavus Winslow wrote a book entitled Personal Declension, which addressed the issue of a man's decline in spiritual vitality. It discusses areas to consider in which a falling away from what is right and true takes place, and it examines the consequences and points the individual back to the Lord who is the restorer and keeper of his people. As a nation, we have fallen, and we definitely need to consider our ways. We have chosen to allow immoral behavior to become the normally accepted comportment we all must accept. Young children have been encouraged to consider transgenderism and homosexuality within the public school system. And we're being pressured and led by our president to accept such behavior as normative. Resist this and you'll be booted off of Facebook, banned by Twitter. You may even be fired for harboring such a hateful and racist attitude. You're not allowed to have a moral opinion other than the one that is set forth by those in authority. Our values have been misplaced and our focus has become cloudy, to say the least. The evidence of this is seen in how we spend our money and our time. One example to consider, we have an activist basketball player named LeBron James. He's a player who has become outspoken in support of Black Lives Matter. He deals during the national anthem when the American flag is raised, showing his support for this Marxist organization. He refuses to stand against the CCP due to the fact that China has become a tremendous source of financial income. And you don't bite the hand that feeds you, right? Should he not support the Chinese, they've revealed that they would have no second thought about canceling his contracts. He knows who's in charge and he knows where his allegiances lie. We know who he is and we know what he's doing. We see it. It's splashed all across the television. If we're intelligent, we understand and still, we're supporting this man by purchasing his merchandise and attending his games. He's earning hundreds of millions of dollars while spitting in the eye of the American public. And where are our values? We allow this. We accept this behavior. He has a right to his own beliefs, you know. However, he leaves no room for you to embrace your beliefs. Our values allow for such behavior, you see. Remember Gordon Gecko telling us that greed is good? Social media controls the dissemination of information in America. It influences the attitudes and shapes the mores of our nation, and it does so in a corrupt fashion. Facebook and Twitter, along with Amazon and Google, silenced Parler, a fast-growing upstart company that had allowed President Trump a voice. They literally banned Parler from the Internet. They were allowed to do this, only causing a minor stir. People got upset for a day or two, but then they quieted down and forgot about the matter. It's just business, really. 
What can you do? Well, if you're a conservative, nothing. If you're a Democrat, you can riot and burn, pillage, murder, scream, and everybody will pay attention. We allow these guys, the social media, to control the flow of information, censoring what they deem inappropriate and accepting what they like. There is no room for another opinion. They communicate and they work together. They also coalesce with the government on what to allow and what not to allow. They went as far, as I mentioned, to banish the President of the United States from using their services. But yet they make room and allow tyrants and evil dictators, Marxists and murderers, to have a very loud voice. They're not inhibited at all. They suppress the political views they go against what they promote. Dissent, again, is not allowed, period. How does this indicate our values? Well, we allowed the office of the president to be defamed and denigrated in the eyes of the world. And we still support these guys in their political pursuits. Oh, we show our disdain and our displeasure. Oh, I only use Facebook for this and I use Twitter every now and then. But then we realize that we'll be inconvenienced if we don't use their services. So we, yeah, we'll limit our time on Facebook, Twitter, and Google. We'll limit it. On a national average, we all have limited our time to around two and a half hours a day. No more. Just two and a half hours a day. We send our money to and through these guys. We read their version of the news. And we say we're not influenced. But then again, we're dumb sheep. Mark Zuckerberg is a multi-billionaire with a net worth estimated at $87 billion. Jack Dorsey, who is the antithesis of any father's image of a good son, has the net worth in excess of $6 billion. In the eyes of the world, this is just tremendous success. These guys have shown that they are not really concerned about you. They have no concern for your well-being. And they have no desire to hear what you have to say. They sincerely believe that you have no choice but to continue using their services. You'll continue listening, and you'll read, and you'll follow. And you know what? We do just that. And for the average of two and a half hours per day, we allow these thugs into our homes, and we surrender the most sacred piece of private property we own to them, our minds. This reflects a serious decline in values. We accept their lies, and we allow these guys the freedom to abuse not just us, but the nation as a whole. They are sullying the name of our country throughout the world, and we shake our heads for a day, and then we head back to work, anticipating our next two and a half hours in a chat room. Consequently, we no longer are the home of the free and the brave. You can say what you wish, and you can dispute this. But recent polls show that 85% of our 18 to 29-year-olds, the millennials, have said that they would support a good national defense, and they would expect it. But they would never be willing to serve. Pew Research finds that of all who wish to serve, the millennials are less likely to volunteer or be willing to. Our money is taken from us through excessive taxation, restrictions, and regulations. Our jobs are literally being destroyed by the people in Washington. Our religion has been intentionally apostatized. Our schools run and governed by tyrants, teaching a multitude of lies to our children. Why would they insist on teaching a third grader to use a condom? What about reading and writing and arithmetic? 35% of the students in America 
are said to be proficient in math. Less than that, 31% are proficient in reading. But whoop out a condom, and the proficiency rate jumps to nearly 100%. Now, these are verified statistics provided by the United States government, and this is nothing new. Now you understand what is meant by the dumbing down of the American children? We still insist on sending our children to public school. It's a community effort. It's a united thing. We can't complain, though, when we see the results. We cannot blame the schools. We allowed this to go on, and we've known about these things for quite some time, and we have done nothing. Why? Because, what, we got a high school education? What do we value, though, really? What do we really value? Let's consider some things. Homosexuals and lesbians are sitting in the teacher's chair. And please do not attempt to lecture me on the decency and acceptability of the homosexual lifestyle. I'll refer you to the Boy Scouts of America, to Alfred Kinsey, John Money, and Harvey Milk. Corrupt men are sitting in the White House, and I do mean corrupt. A wicked witch of women rules in the House of Representatives and her evil counterpart rules in the Senate. Marxist ideology is being taught in our churches and forced into the minds of our children in the public school. Drugs are coming in unchallenged at an alarming rate. The government is doing all it can to open our borders even wider. This past year, over 2 million illegal immigrants have come freely and unchecked into America. We don't even know who all's here. Ukrainians seeking asylum, no, no, we can't allow them. They're too conservative, and they love America. They have a respect for America. No, the poor and the oppressed, the ignorant and unlearned, those who the present administration can manipulate and control, yes, yes, they're welcoming, yes, indeed. We're told to lock ourselves in our homes, shut the doors to our businesses and our livelihoods, and live in the state of fear by the administration in Washington. And we obey without question. We either get the jab or lose a job. If we don't get the jab, we'll be fired if we don't obey. The mandates have been issued, so you roll up your sleeve and you turn your head. Where are our values? The state has won. The people have lost. But still, there exist a few clear-minded, independent, critical thinkers. Patriots who love the idea of the land of the free and the home of the brave. There is a core group of faithful who still hold to the static constitution of the United States of America, a group of constitutional originalists. We're the ones that cling to our Bibles, trust in God, and hold tightly to our guns, knowing that the corruption we face is real. Right, Barack? We're those who the tyrants in Washington have identified as domestic terrorists. We're the deplorables, the homophobes, the xenophobes, and the racists the Bible-toting ones, the sexist Islamophobes. We work with our hands and our minds, not simply our mouths. We don't have a PhD, but we can fix the water heater. We can tune our cars and teach our kids right from wrong. We have integrity and a sense of decency. Our marriages last and our love is real. Our kids are not transsexual or coming out. They're not in jail or corrupt like Hunter Biden. We plant gardens and we sew up the rips in our boys' britches. We build fences and bridges and homes that last. We even have loyal dogs who stand at our side while we hunt deer and quail or fish the streams and raise cattle. 
I call mine Sarge. Some of us, seeing the corruption that we're facing, choose to run for public office with sincere and pure motives. We want to make an impact for what is right and in favor of the American people, not the global denizens. Sure, they have to fight their egos, these people. It's a heady thing to have been imbued with power. And I want to take my hat off to Senator Ron Johnson and to the courage of Senator Rand Paul, the tenacity of Devin Nunez, and the ardor of Representative Matt Getz, Jim Jordan. These are principled men who stand for something that we can hold to as a nation. I even salute Joe Manchin for several positions he has taken recently. Some still believe in America first and hold to this unashamedly, while the majority in the House and the Senate and even the White House seem to hate the land of their forefathers and the idea of freedom and justice for all. That, that should be changed to freedom and justice for some. There still exists a small core group of people who proudly call themselves Americans, and they refuse to believe and or accept the lies. And it's good to know that I'm not alone. My only complaint is that we, for the large part, are the silent majority. Democracy, our constitutional republic, will die in silence. If we do not stand up and be united for our nation, who will? And if not now, when? And if not me, who? Listening to John Dewey's Dumb Down of the American Mind, written, produced, and narrated by Frank Goss, using information provided primarily by Alex Newman. We want to thank you for listening and hope you tell your friends about our work. The series is available for your listening enjoyment beginning with episode one and follows in a chronological history. We sincerely hope this has been beneficial to you and that you continue to follow in the days to come.